And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Welcome to the second best day of the week. Of course, it is Thursday. Get ready to wrap up this week. Uh, you know, it's been it's been interesting, right? It's been an interesting uh, first kind of full week of, of the year. Had J-Pal. We've had all this other stuff going on. Markets continuing to do well. Um, you know, Google puts out an advertisement yesterday for their new AI intelligence. It's supposed to answer all your questions for you. It was wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sent the stock down 8% yesterday. I think that was a little bit overdone, by the way. I mean, yeah, you know, look, this is all very much in beta testing mode right now. And if there's anybody that's going to work out the glitches in artificial intelligence, it'll be Google, considering how much intelligence they have on you anyway, right? <laughs> so, you know, pretty much, I'm not even sure the answer was wrong. It, based on all the misinformation that's out there, it's probably just giving you the answer you thought you wanted. Um, so don't worry about the truth. Here's, here's, here's what you get. Anyway, uh, stock sold off yesterday. That was kind of one of the big drags on the overall market because of its market cap weighting. Uh, market was down a bit. Um, and again, not surprising here, and we, we've talked about this over the last couple of days, is that markets have had a very, very significant run. And for instance, the CNN Fear Greed Gauge, which measures stocks, volatility, those type of things in the market, is now back to extreme greed levels for the first time since January of 2022. So, you know, we've gone a very long way. And, and again, you know, we talk a lot about this rally since the beginning of the year. It's like markets are up this much since January. This rally started long before January. In fact, it goes all the way back to October of last year where we started that rally right at the end of October, started this rally back then. So this has been a very extended bullish trend rally here for the last several months. And again, we've had a lot of positive developments. The 50 days now cross solidly above the 200 day moving average. The 20 day is above the 50 and the 200 day. So you've got all these kind of moving averages now providing additional support underneath the markets, which make downside risk a little bit less, right? Because now you have these support levels. So what we'll be talking about today, Michael Lee, what's joining me this morning, is we'll be talking about this, this problem that we have in the markets right now, which is this technically bullish trend of the markets, but the fundamentals remain terrible. And, you know, there's still all these concerns about economic recession, inverted yield curves. We have all of these fundamental variables out there that are certainly bearish in nature. But despite that, you have this rising bullish trend of the markets. Now, let me just say this. First of all, markets are very overbought here. And, you know, we, we watch very closely our buy and sell signals. And our, our buy signal that we got back in early December has now made its, it, the vast majority of its move and, and actually is becoming very close. If we get a couple more down days in the markets here over the next week or so, that sell signal is going to trigger and that's going to suggest that we're going to get a pullback in the markets to around 4,000-ish. That would be the first kind of major support point for the market. So again, markets are going to go up and down even in a bullish trend or in a bearish trend. And we saw this last year, right? Markets were in a bearish trend. Prices were declining overall, but you had some fantastic rallies last year that 
you know, you can make a lot of money. I mean, markets rally 7, 8, 9, 10, 11% at, at times, but we're remaining in a bearish trend. And so again, you know, markets don't just go straight up or straight down. They kind of bounce along the way. So there's opportunities to make some money when, when these bounces occur. The question though, and this is what we'll explore today with Michael, is to look at what the Fed said, of course, at the most recent uh, speech by Jerome Powell, who made no qualms that they're going to keep hiking interest rates. And if you take a look at what's happening with the employment report, that jobs report in January provided a very strong basis to keep hiking rates. And inflation is still potentially a problem because, again, you know, while inflation is coming down, the big concern for the Fed is that they stop too soon on tightening policy and you get a resurgence of inflation. And that's what they, they want to try to avoid. So again, we have these competing narratives for the markets, which make it extremely difficult to invest, right? I mean, it's like you're on one side of the camp and you're like, oh, this market's going to go down. We're, we're in a big bear market. We got to go down to 30%. So you're all in cash. And then the market rallies, you know, 15% uh, on the NASDAQ in a month. So, you know, this is, this is the narrative. But the other side of being extremely bullish here is like, hey, the bear market's over, we're back into a bull market. That's not necessarily the case because we do have to pay attention to what's happening with the fundamentals. So that's gonna be the conversation this morning. We're gonna get into a little bit more of that, um, you know, really talk about how to position as we go forward. A couple of quick notes though. First of all, a very interesting chart out this morning. I just posted it on Twitter. So if you go to our Twitter account, at Lance Roberts, um, you'll see this post. But um, my friend Albert Edwards, who is uh, an analyst for uh, Society Generale, posted out a very interesting chart. Actually came from another friend of mine, David Rosenberg, who talks about the jobs that were created. So we had this 500,000 job increase in January, right? Pretty phenomenal. Right? It's like, man, just created 500,000 jobs. Actually, every January, and we've talked about this before, there are massive seasonal adjustments. We lose about 3 million jobs every January. And this is because of seasonal hiring getting, getting rolled off, right? Think of all the people that get temporary jobs at Macy's and Nordstrom's, et cetera, for the Christmas holidays, earn a little bit of extra money, um, but also to help out with the Christmas rush and all these type of things. So we have all these temporary jobs that are created in November, December for the holidays. Well, those all get terminated after the beginning of the year, right? Holidays are over. So you always have these big declines in jobs in January. So the, to smooth this data out, so we don't have these big jumps in the data, uh, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics apply these mathematical formulas to smooth out these seasonal variabilities of hiring that occur during period. Like, for instance, summer. We have a lot more temporary jobs in the summer, so we have to smooth those out because college kids are home, you know, working gigs, whatever. So the, the mathematics behind all this is very interesting. But the interesting part about this is that, yes, while we continue to create payrolls, right, we continue to have this payroll growth that's happening, since last May, and this was the point that David Rosenberg made, since last May, on net, we have not created any full-time jobs. Since last May, that, so think about that for a moment. All of the jobs since last May on net have been temporary jobs. So just kind of a fascinating look when you start to look at the gap between what the payroll numbers are and what we're creating in terms of full-time jobs, there's a very big gap emerging. Now, why is that important? 
Well, the reason is, is that if I'm going to support a family, right? So it's me, my wife, couple of kids, in my case, 900. Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to have a full-time job to pay those bills. You can't be working part-time. Well, you can, but you know, it's tough to work two, three, four part-time jobs and make enough money to support a family. So it's full-time work that actually creates stronger economic growth. The full-time work allows somebody to buy a house, somebody to buy a car, these type of things. So full-time employment is very important. So if we're not creating any more full-time employment since last May on net, then what does that say for economic growth over the course of the next year or so? And, they, and, see, and there's exactly the point of our conversation this morning. Very bullish technicals here, moving averages turning up, markets uh, moving through very different types of resistance structures, etc. But yet we have this bearish economic data. So we'll talk about what that means for your portfolio, how to navigate that. Be sure you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael Leibowitz's latest article is out on the website. Our daily market commentary out already this morning. So if you go to the website, you can get our latest daily market commentary, but also subscribe. We email that to you every morning at 7.30, get you ready for the trading day. Also our YouTube and make sure and subscribe to our new Before the Bell channel. That's our three minutes that we do on markets and money um, and get you ready for the trading day for the markets as well, video wise. So it's all there for you. It's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Subscribe to our newsletter, everything else for you. We'll keep you up to date, keep you informed and help it all out. And that's all, it's all free. So stick around, more of the Real Investment Show coming up with Michael Leibowitz. We're gonna talk about bull, bear, what does that mean for your money? Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So a couple of things here, uh, just as we kind of get kicking off this morning, this Thursday. So futures are pointing up right now a little bit. Um, good bit of earnings out. We're getting ready to wrap up earnings season. So rapidly kind of coming to a close. On aggregate, um, earnings have missed across the board. Now, on average, that they've pretty much come in line with expectations. But once you really start to dig down a lot of these numbers, they were actually a good bit weaker than what estimates really were, um, you know, at the beginning of the, of, the, of the quarter. But if we go back to last year, now remember, um, these estimates are put out up to a year in advance. Um, so if you go back to last March, we had estimates for the end of 2023 last March. And, and so if you go back to that point, there's been about a 20% decline in earnings since then. So now, even though companies come out and beating these earnings, it's because we've lowered the bar enough for them to get over it. But if you actually take a look at what estimates were expected to be versus what they turned out to be, is actually a pretty huge miss. So just, you know, this is always the problem with earnings and estimates because 
you know, we're told, oh, you know, Apple's going to make this much or Google's going to make this much. And so if you buy the stock at the beginning of the quarter based on some earnings number, by the time you get to the end of the quarter, you wind up overpaying for the stock because earnings come down. And, and that's that's the problem with forward estimates versus paying for what you know we used to back in the day. Michael will remember this. But back in the day, we didn't have forward earnings estimates. These operating forward earnings estimates were something that were at the back of the 10Q report, which is this report that companies put out every quarter. And they would have their balance sheet, gap earnings, then that was pretty much as reported. And at the very back, on kind of a supplemental index, was their pro forma projected numbers. And nobody really paid much attention to that because it was all just guesswork. Well, beginning in about 2000, Wall Street said, hey, let's use that data because it makes things look a lot better. And so we started really using a lot of these forward operating earnings estimates, which are basically earnings that have none of the bad stuff in them. So, again, if you're really looking to be a good investor long term, use the trailing earnings, not the forward earnings. You'll end up doing better. But this morning, uh, we've got AbbVie. One of our holdings is reporting this morning. Brookfield Asset Management, Canopy Growth, that's the um, marijuana producer. That's, that's been kind of interesting. That whole industry kind of went up in smoke. Um, Expedia, <laughs> Hilton, Kellogg's, uh, News Corp, PayPal, Pepsi, Philip Morris, um, uh, Ralph Lauren, S&P Global, Thomson Reuters, Verisign, um, Yelp, all are reporting today. Again, we're, we're right in the midst of, we're wrapping this up, but we're probably about 80, 85% through the S&P now. So, so most of this is going to start to slow down over the next, um, next week or two. We'll have a kind of a slowdown in this earnings barrage, but that's, this earnings push has been one thing really kind of popping this market all over the place as well. So Companies are reporting earnings and they have a big pop or, or decline, depending on, you know, what they did with earnings. So hopefully some of this volatility will slow down here. Um, but but part yeah, of this. Lance, can I just add to that? Yeah, for yeah, a go ahead. Yeah, there's also another part of earnings that we can't capture, that we can't quantify. So we always talk about how did the company do? Did their earnings beat estimates? Were their earnings better than last year? What about sales? How did they do? What about margins? But at the end of the day, what we're finding is that forward guidance so when the CEO and the executive uh, branch talk about what they expect for the year ahead, uh, which they usually do after they release earnings, that tends to be just a big a just as big a driver of the stock price than the actual earnings, and that's just something we can't quantify because it's you know it's it's just all descriptions and some loose estimates, and so so you can have a company that had great earnings and great sales growth, but they're they're worried about something in the future and the stock can go down five or ten percent. Mm -hmm. Conversely, a company with really bad earnings, but a great outlook, which could push it up despite what looks like bad earnings, because, again, earnings are for the past. Right. That's what happened last quarter. What investors should only care about is what's going to happen next quarter and a quarter after that. That's right. Well, and again, you know, this is kind of the interesting thing with uh, Google yesterday uh, with their bar. You know, the only the question, the only question I have is, is this morning there should be a company wide meeting. Goes okay. If you don't, oh, let me back up real quick. If you know what happened yesterday, Google was down almost eight percent yesterday because they ran this advertisement for their new AI. So this is their their competitor to Chat GPT, which has been making all the media headlines lately of this AI, you ask it a question, it'll answer for you, right? It'll write your articles, it'll it'll write essays for school, it'll write code for trading, et cetera. It'll do anything you want. Well, Microsoft invested 10 billion, so basically Microsoft owns ChatGPT. 
the competitor to that is Google's what they their AI is called Bard, and so they had it ask they ran this advertisement yesterday of a kid asking it a question about you know. Uh, a telescope who was the first to see very deep into space and it answered incorrectly and of course this has just made massive media headlines so two questions come out of this first all first of all is 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 you know can you fix the problem and the second is is who didn't fact check the answer before you made the advertisement that's <laughs> that's the only you know seems like somebody would have said okay before we put this ad out there let's just double fact check this thing to make sure it answered correctly um apparently somebody missed that ticket so somebody's out of a job today uh jobless claims will go up by one uh on friday <laughs> so Anyway, um, but look, if there's going to be a winner out of this, it's going to either be Microsoft or Google. I would, I would bet on both horses. The, the Google will fix this problem, and like I said earlier, as much as much live information as Google has on every single American, they're going to figure out the AI situation. Don't worry about it. Um, but this brings us to uh, our conversation this morning. It, it's quite interesting. Um, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. I wrote an article about it on on uh, Tuesday. Um, Mike uh, made some notes and commentary on it this morning in our daily market commentary, which is on the website right now. You know, there's this very bullish underpinning of the market. And, and look, every day I'm getting tons and tons of emails going, why are you so bullish? I'm not bullish, right? I'm just, I'm not bearish either. I'm just, it is what it is. And, and markets are going up. And as we said yesterday, you know, the, as soon as you pick a camp, as soon as you pick being bullish or bearish, all your decisions are going to focus on that one camp that you picked. And so it's going to wind up leading you to, to mis be mistaken about what's going on in the overall market because you've got a bias. And the one thing we have to fight as investors is our psychological biases because those get us in trouble all the time. So it's very difficult sometimes if you have a personal bias that's very bearish or very bullish, doesn't matter. You want to try to deny whatever else the other data is. Like, I can't be right, right? This market can't be bullish because look at all this other stuff over here that's bearish. And this is the challenge of managing money, both short-term and long-term, is, you know, we get wrapped up in these psychological biases. And, and so the article on Tuesday is talking about this technical bullish formation that, that we have going on in the markets and these bearish underlying fundamentals and, and you know, as Mike and I have talked about numerous times, there's plenty of arguments for the bearish side of the camp. I, I want to start with with Jerome Powell um, and his speech on Tuesday because you know Mike is our resident Fed expert. He's he's big buddies with Jerome Powell personally. They have lunch and play golf all the time. Um, so <laughs> so, but there was a couple of interesting comments that I thought Jerome Powell made um, on Monday that really the market just kind of overlooked. One was in reference to the employment report. We had that 500,000 500, job employment report last Friday, a real kind of shocker there. Um, he didn't. He, he, he said, look, this underscores the reason why we're hiking rates. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. But that was a problem, right? Because strong growth, longer work week, right? People working more hours, not less. That's potential for that wage sprite or that wage kind of wage price spiral that leads to further inflation. The second thing was, is that he made a very, he said, look, we're going to keep hiking rates. We're not stopping here because there's, we're not done with our job yet. And the market really seemed to look past both of those and go, ah, pff, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to pivot. 
What are your thoughts on that, Mike? So the, the quote of the week I thought was from Janet Yellen. After the unemployment report, she said that we just had a 53-year low, low in the unemployment rate recession. That ain't going to happen. And, you know, that sounds incredibly logical. That it, Of course it can't happen, right? But if you look at the unemployment rate, you'll notice that it hits its cycle low virtually within one to three months before each recession. Yeah. So, so the hard part with all this is monetary lags, which Lance, we talk about all the time, how long it takes from the Fed to tighten rates to fully affect the economy. And I'm concerned that Yellen, not as much Powell, but Yellen doesn't appreciate those lags and that thinks this time is different that there aren't lags. Well, I think uh, for, just, uh, just real quick there, Mike, we have to go back. Yellen's track record is not very good. In 2018, she said, we'll never have another crisis in our lifetime. And we had the 2020 crisis with the pandemic. Right. She said in 20, <laughs> she said, and I think it was in 2019, she goes, yeah, there's no recession in sight. And we had a recession like six months later. So <laughs> hers, as well as Ben Bernanke and, and every other Fed chairman, they're not great with predictions. So True. True. And Powell <laughs> does recognize the lags and he has made that made, been very vocal about it. He's scared of tightening too much, scared of tightening not enough because he doesn't know what he did a year ago, how that's going to affect things today. And that's the huge problem for Powell and for us. Well, and I think this is so this is going to be a good pickup point uh, to start our conversation about bullish technicals and bearish fundamentals. You know, the problem is, is that the Fed is hiking rates and he is slowing that pace of rate hikes. The market is betting on a reversal of rate hikes as soon as June or July of this year. Um, that seems to be a, a rather ridiculous bet, but, but we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. I'm Real Science Roberts with Michael Leibowitz today talking about bull or bear or both or what the heck is going on. That's on today's show. Be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Your listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So bullish technicals, bearish fundamentals, what do you do with that? It's a very uh, challenging environment that we live in currently. And and again, this is, uh, you know, to pick up where we just had just left off. You know, the Fed is, uh, Jerome Powell's recent speech uh, talked about the fact they're going to keep hiking rates. They've, they've got to right now. Inflation is still high. It is coming down. 
but it is still elevated. By the way, we're at 6.4% CPI as of the last report. Now, we've got a new report coming up, I believe, next week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. Mike is, Mike is nodding. Yes. Um, so, But 6.4%, that number will likely come down some more. But the point is, is that in history, every time, every single time in history, when the inflation rate has been above 5%, the U.S. economy has gone into a recession. We're at 6.4. Yes, it is coming down. But the Fed has been pretty adamant they're going to keep hiking rates until they get inflation on a sustained trajectory back to 2%. And what the market is betting on is that not only is the Fed going to stop hiking rates, they're going to start cutting rates by June or July, which there is no evidence from the Federal Reserve that they're going to do that. And, and more importantly, what Jerome Powell said, and, and Mike alluded to this, is that there's a lag effect, and, and Jerome Powell is very aware of this lag effect of monetary policy. So when they hike rates, it takes nine months to 12 months for that rate hike to show up in the economy. We've got 450 basis points of rate hikes in the can that have not shown up in the economy yet. So the Fed wants to take their foot off the gas momentarily and say, let those rate hikes catch up to it, to, to the markets. Let's see what that does to the economy. Does it bring down inflation, et cetera? Or does it break something? And then we'll go from there. Then maybe we'll cut rates if we need to or, or whatever. But as we've said before on the show, the only reason the Fed is going to cut rates is because you're either in a recession, a bear market, or have a financial crisis or a combination of, of the three. That's when the Fed is cutting rates. The Fed will be cutting rates and going back to QE to stop the economy from getting into a deeper recession. They're not going to cut rates if the market's up, the, bull, the bulls are in control of the market, the economy's doing fine, we're hiring 250,000 people a month, there's no reason to cut rates. The, the, that would be nirvana for the Fed. They would sit there and just go, hey, we'll leave rates at 5%, wait for, the next, <laughs> wait for the next recession down the road, and keep reducing our balance sheet. That'd be awesome for the Fed. But the market's not picking that up. Mike, what are your thoughts on this? The lag effect is huge, and maybe it's worth going through an example of what the lag or examples of what the lag effect is to help people appreciate it. So, if we're a company, and five years ago, in uh, five years ago, we borrowed money at two percent to help run our business, and in a couple months, that five years is going to be up. And like both, most businesses, they don't pay off the debt, they actually roll it over. So they let the debt mature and they issue a new bond. Well, that new bond may be coming in at five, six or 7%. The problem, the, the reason there's a lag effect is because that may not happen until July of this year. So the economic pain of higher interest rates is not gonna affect that company to June or July. So June or July comes and now all of a sudden your interest expense is gonna double or triple and they're gonna to have to let go of employees, they're gonna to have to cut back on production, they're gonna to have to do something to offset that cost to try to keep earnings where they're at. Interest rate sensitives, sensitive sectors like home builders, for instance, or even autos to a lesser degree, have the same problem. Mortgage rates change instantly with higher rates or very, you know, pretty much on the same, at the, on the same time frame. But for someone that's just going out to look at houses now, that, that wasn't looking at houses a year ago, they may just be getting hit with a shock and saying, you know what, I can't afford a new house. I'm just going to stay in my old house. Same with same with car buyers. And the, the size of the, the lag can be months, a month, or it can be well over a year. It just depends when people that are when people and companies that are interest sensitive have to hit borrow money. And 
that's why, you know, apparently there's a wall of debt, corporate debt that comes due later this year and next year. And basically there was not a lot of corporate debt maturing over the last six to nine months. That's going to be changing. And a lot of companies are going to be dealing with interest expenses that are much higher and they are going to have to take actions, whatever that may be. And so, you know, the hard part for us, this is extremely difficult, is you look at the unemployment numbers and a lot of other economic numbers and they look fine. But this country is, and by country, I mean government, corporations, and individuals are so dependent on debt, more so than we ever have been in the history of this country. And it, that, that amount of leverage is extremely high. So you have raised rates more than you have in the last 40 years at the quickest pace in the last 40 years. And to not expect that that's gonna have a big, big effect on people's spending habits, on the way corporations run their business, even on the way the government runs. They now have an extra few hundred billion in interest expense. So, you know, as they, you know, especially now with the split Congress, they're going to have trouble with fiscal stimulus if need be, or just regular fiscal spending. They're, they're likely going to have to cut back somewhere as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> so, so this lag effect makes our jobs very difficult. At, you know, you know, I think Lance and I have this conversation every day. Are we wrong? Are we, you know, maybe this is Goldilocks. Maybe it's it's just no landing. The, the economy just kind of muscles right through this. But given the massive tax on the economy and higher interest rates, think about if your mortgage rate were to just increase by $500 next month going forward. That's $500 less you're going to be spending elsewhere. That's a tax. It's essentially a tax. And that tax is slowly just working its way through the economy. And it's not just a small tax. It's going to be a pretty big tax. As people's cars die and they have to buy a new car, they're going to pay that tax. Credit card spending has gone up significantly in the last year. Well, now now those people are getting hit with much higher interest rates on that on those credit cards. And they're going to be working on paying off those credit cards, not taking on more debt. So you know, that's what we're, that's one side of, one side of the way we think about markets is how's the economy going to handle this? And then the other side is, well, what's the market telling us? What are, what are investors actually doing? And like you said, Lance, there's a big divergence between kind of the logic of the market and the logic of the economy. And that divergence will get filled and maybe, you know, maybe the economy will muscle through this. Well, you know, and, and, and no, this is a very interesting point because you know, you know what the Fed and, and particularly when you talk about consumer credit, that's the, you know we've seen a very big increase in the amount of credit cards that people are taking out, and once you adjust that that credit card debt for inflation, you know it's not buy, it's taking a lot more debt to buy a lot less stuff because of the, the higher prices of food, gas, etc. But the Fed, when the Fed hikes interest rates, that affects the prime rate, which is directly tied to credit cards. So the biggest increase for consumers is credit card interest payments, which, to your point, are eating up more and more of that discretionary income, which if I'm, you know, if my credit card bill is getting a lot bigger, that means I have less money to spend elsewhere. So, I mean, when you look at all this, this, this fundamental data, whether it's earnings or whether it's the economy, manufacturing data, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of data that suggests that the economy is already slowing down and slowing down pretty significantly. But then you have this dichotomy of, you know, 500,000 jobs being created, an exceptionally strong job report. 
as long as you don't look below the surface. And as I was talking about in the, in the open, a uh, great chart by David Rosenberg out this morning. I put it on Twitter. So if you go to our Twitter uh, page at Lance Roberts, um, there's a chart of employment. And despite the fact that payrolls have been rising since May of last year, we've created no net new full-time jobs. Uh, full-time employment has been basically flatlined since last May. So everything's being being you know temporary. So even you know when, you know as long as you kind of just look at headline data, there's certainly some fundamental data that supports the economy's doing just fine. Just don't look underneath the hood because that's where you start finding a, a lot of issues. But the, and and to to Mike's point, this is a challenge. So here's the thing that so when we come back from the break here in a second, here's the thing that Mike and I that you know want to talk about, which is what do you do with this, right? And this is why we focus so much on the technical measures of the markets in the short term, because technicals tell us what the market's thinking, right? And it doesn't mean that it's right. Technicals are very short term in nature, and they can change pretty quickly um, You know, when, when things start going in another direction. Fundamentals tell you what's going to happen longer term. And, uh, and, and Mike, I think you'll agree that the fundamentals suggest that returns aren't going to be great. doesn't necessarily mean, when, when we talk about not great returns, it doesn't mean we're going to be in a bear market for the next 10 years. But based on valuation, based on the fact you don't have stimulus payments in the system, all that stimulus has now left the system, you've got excess debt now. You know, there's a lot of things suggesting that growth in the economy and growth ultimately in the markets will be a lot less in the future than it has been over the last decade. But the technicals in the short term suggest opportunities that may create some money in the short term. So when we come back from the break, this will be the, the point that we want to get to is what do you do with this information that we have now, right? The technicals versus the fundamentals. How do you blend that into a portfolio and, and where should you be looking for opportunities? And I think the one thing, Mike, that, that we need to touch on more importantly is, is in a slower economic environment, where do you want to be looking to invest? And this is going to be kind of the issue. So uh, real quick housekeeping, just to, to make sure, don't forget to go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our three minutes on markets and money that we used to do is now has its own channel. It's called Before the Bell. So go over there and subscribe to that. And that way, just click the little bell icon, a bell icon, subscribe to that channel. That way, when we post a new uh, Before the Bell post each morning, you'll get a notification of that on YouTube. Um, Real Investment Show, make sure and click the little bell icon while you're sitting right here watching the show. We appreciate your subscription. Um, also, uh, get by our website, subscribe to our daily market commentary, our weekly newsletter. There's so much stuff there. It's all free to help you navigate markets better and make money for yourself. That's the whole point of all of this. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
So welcome back to the show this morning. So here's the problem for investors, and this is the big challenge that we have, is navigating all of this bearish fundamental data, right? I mean, and look, there's plenty of it out there, and this is the, the, whole, the whole issue, right? I mean, um, I talked earlier this week about the Jim Rickards video that uh, has been circulating the rounds, suggesting the world's going to all end. And, and that's, you know, the worst possible outcomes never occur. Uh, can you have bad outcomes? Yes. But generally, the worst possible outcomes of the next Great Depression don't occur. And, and again, we have a lot of differences today than we had back in the Depression. Everybody wants to refer back to the 1930s. And we're going back to that. No, we're not. There's a lot of differences. We've got FDIC insurance. We didn't have, you know, bailout programs in place. We didn't have the Federal Reserve acting the way they act now versus the way they were doing back then. So there's a lot of different supports for markets and environments that will keep us out of a depression. So, you know, betting on that outcome is likely not going to be a good bet. Now, can we have a bad outcome? Absolutely. And there's certainly a lot of economic data that points to that. Here's the problem, though. The technicals right now in the markets are very bullish. We've talked about numerous times on the show. Inverse head and shoulders, which is a historically good kind of bottoming process for a market suggests that a market bottom has been put in. Hard to believe given the economic data, but that's what the data says. We've broken the downtrend line from January of 2022. So that bearish trend has now turned into a more positive trend, at least for now. Um, technical indicators, the 50-day crossing above the 200-day moving average, that's the golden cross. Historically, not always. There, Yes, there are times that the golden cross has not produced positive returns, but the majority of the time, if you're if you're if you're a betting man and you're going to Vegas and you're betting the odds, you would bet on the Golden Cross leading to higher prices. One thing it does provide is support. So that Golden Cross now, the 50-day crossing above the 200 day, is a, a is now a good level of support for a market on a pullback. So what do you do with this with this data, and how do you invest with that, and where do you invest? That's the bigger question, right? Where where in this economy are you going to invest in an environment? Well. Two things to take away from this, and then I'm going to turn this over to Mike and let him run with it. The first thing is that technicals are very short-term in nature. They're a month to three months to maybe four months in, in nature. So, so when you get technical signals, they're good for short-term. They tell you that the market psychology is bullish and that things are rising. We need to pay attention to that, add exposure, do those type of things. When that, those technicals change, that is when the market fundamentals are beginning to catch up with the market. So that's why that's why Mike and I pay so much attention to the technicals is because it gives you the opportunity and gives you warning about changes to the market environment. So, Mike, having said all that, technicals bullish right now, um, economy, you know, weakening, if not going into a recession at some point. So. You know, in that environment of a weakening, slower growth environment, where where do I want to be investing, and where should I maybe not want to be investing or be invested? Um, particularly considering you know the sectors and and markets that did so well last year, um, what should I be thinking about going forward this year? And he's talking, but I hear nothing. So sorry, there he sorry. is. Try to get so much. That was my fault. <laughs> so much of this is valuation and time frame. So if you're asking a question, where should I be investing for the next two weeks? If you look at what the market's been doing, if you look at where the momentum in the market is, it's clearly towards the beating up stocks from last year, tech, this tech sector, the conservative uh, 
sectors that did really well last year, like healthcare, utilities, staples, are not doing nearly as well this year as some of the other sectors. So if you're looking at the next two weeks, four weeks, you know, think about some of those those sectors and the companies within those sectors. But as you start thinking about, okay, well, I have a a, a poor outlook for the next year, and I'm just going to invest for the next year, and I don't care about the ups and downs. What should I invest in? You know, and the first thing is just your asset allocation. How much cash are you sitting in? How many bonds are you sitting in? So the first thing is just think about maybe just reducing exposure to equities and either increasing in bonds or cash, depending on how you think about bonds. But it's also valuations. So, you know, just because a company's a conservative company, a staple type company, a utility, doesn't mean it's cheap. We've talked about Clorox, about Procter Gamble, which we do own. They're expensive companies. They're more expensive than the S&P 500. On the other hand, there are companies that are much cheaper. Um, but but the, the problem is, and what makes this really hard is, if the market's going to sell off and if money's going to flock to the conservative sectors, will it flock to the big companies that everyone knows, Clorox, Procter Gamble, for example, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, or will it flock to those lesser known companies that are that are truly cheap and most likely have less downside? So that's another thing we have to keep an eye on. And that's basically what we call passive active passive flows versus mat, uh, active flows. So, you know, at Lance, we started this year with the word audible. Mm-hmm. And I, I, to me, audible is the key word. And it's not just are you going to audible in and out of stocks or in and out of bonds, but which sectors are you going to audible into and out of? Which stocks are you going to audible into and out of? And that's where it gets difficult. It's easy to go back to last year and say, okay, the market's going to go down. I'm just going to play the same playbook I played last year. And that may very well work that those very conservative, high dividend companies are the best performers. That's what typically works during a recession. But also, in a, and I'm gonna make a case for high growth companies right now. Mm-hmm. In a recession, interest rates are gonna plummet. And right now, interest rates are extremely high. If we go into a recession, there's a good chance interest rates go down sharply. So companies that have good earnings, that are somewhat recession-proof, that are growing, but are considered high growth, you know, some tech names, maybe not the top tech names, maybe not the Apples, uh, Microsoft's of the world, but go down one or two levels from there. And you got companies that are growing at fast rates that have beaten down valuations. You know, we talked about Meta not that long ago, that when interest rates come down, the, the, the mathematics behind valuing companies really helps companies with that have growth in the future. So, you know, it could be a weird year where we're buying conservative companies and higher growth companies and kind of straddling the line. Uh, but again, we're going to be audibling. We're going to be seeing how the economy does. Right now, the economy is fine. It, it, we're not in a recession. We're not We're not really close to recession. Now, that can change in two months pretty quickly. But right now, everything seems fine. Yeah. Um, well, and, so, and, and, so it's just thinking about all your options and what does the future hold? And then, you know, again, back to technicals, Lance, that mm-hmm. should also help drive your decisions. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and, and too, I just wanted to point out that every Friday on SimpleVisor at SimpleVisor.com, which is our subscription service, you post a, and you've been doing a whole series lately on you and, and Nick Lane 
our, our, our analysts have been doing a whole series of five companies. We have what's called Five for Friday. It's a report that goes out and goes through five companies that we screen um, looking for different opportunities. And lately, you've been touching a lot on value and value dividend growth, those type of things. And it's been, you know, it's interesting to see some of those names that are coming up that, you know, may provide some decent opportunity in the next downturn of the markets. Um, you know, so if you want if you want to check that out, by the way, we always post one of the companies in our weekly newsletter. So if you go to our weekly newsletter, go to realinvestmentadvice.com, you can uh, see one of the companies in our newsletter each week. Subscribe to the newsletter. We'll email it to you at the weekend. But you can also try out simplevisor.com for 30 days free. And that's our complete kind of research portal that we post all of our research to. So if you want to check that out, that's there for you. Um, but I think one of the, the, you know, kind of the interesting aspects, and, and again, the one thing we have to consider is, and I completely agree with you about, you know, growth potentially picking up in a slower economic growth environment, companies that actually grow earnings in a weaker environment. But we also have to, to, to consider, and this is some of the reasons why we own companies like Microsoft, we own Procter & Gamble. Yes, we know that they're, they're, they're expensive, right? But there's also this passive indexing effect that we've talked about before that if people began to start chasing tech stocks, in a, in, as an example, um, they're going to be buying the, the XLK ETF, which is going to funnel money into those top 10 stocks. Same thing with if they're, if they're all buying value, they're going to buy a value ETF that's going to funnel money into companies like Procter & Gamble, which are in those top 10. So part of the, the, the thing that's been coming more difficult over the last decade with the rise of ETFs is that you also have this is a new factor that we have to factor into our analysis of what companies to buy is, okay, this is a good value company, but this company is not necessarily a value, but it has a big passive indexing effect. So you've got to almost hold both of them, right? Right. Here's the conversation that's going to happen. Someone's going to call their broker. Hey, I was down 20% last year. The market's starting to head lower. I can't lose more money in my IRA. The broker's going to say, well, you have to stay in stocks. That works for the long haul. And then the broker is going to say, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move you from the growth fund, from the S&P fund to the value fund. It's more conservative. It won't go down nearly as much if the market goes down. So they're going to be selling growth names, tech names, and they're going to be buying the Procter Gambles and the Cloroxes, mm -hmm. no matter how expensive they are, because that's what leads the value indices. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, like I said, if you want to get access to our research platform, it's called simplevisor.com. Uh, you go try it out for 30 days for free. Um, has all of our research on it. We post uh, weekly Fire for Fridays, get access to our newsletter, more. It's all there at simplevisor.com. Of course, make sure you go by realinvestmentadvice.com. As I said earlier, our newsletter, subscribe to that. It's our weekly subscription goes out. You also get our technical Tuesday take as well. Um, separate email list if you want the daily market commentary. Subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. That's our new channel. That is our three minutes on markets and money before the bell every morning. And then, of course, this channel. Make sure and subscribe here at The Real Investment Show. Lots of stuff for you, always free at the website. And if you're there and need to ask a question, feel free to click on the Ask a Question button. I answer every email every single day. So don't hesitate to ask a question. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday. Have a great day.